October 31st. It's a little unusual for me to, to have Halloween fall on a Sunday, but we have something to celebrate today. Yesterday, we were had the opportunity to host Trunk or Treat in two locations, both Brockville and Prescott. And it was an amazing day. It was super, like I can't even tell you how fantastic the experience was. We had over 900 kids and their families come through our drive-through experience. We handed over 36,000 pieces of candy, if you can imagine what that looks like. And so we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to all of you that partnered with us to inspire hope in our region through something a little crazy and a little bit fun, but we were able to shine the light of Jesus bright. And so we're thankful to our partner in Prescott, Upper, Upper Canada Youth for Christ, as well as the Outpost Cafe. And we're just so excited to be together with you today. And it's not too late because you have an opportunity tonight on Halloween night to shine your light bright. We put together a short list of some ideas, some simple ways that you can shine your light this evening in your community, in your neighborhood. And so we've got those kicking around here. And so if you would grab one of those and think about how you can show love to your neighborhood this evening, open up an opportunity for connection and just show that they're seen and that they're loved. We would love for you to do that. Well, I'm hoping that you would be familiar with a series of books called Chicken Soup for the Soul. Can you nod your head if you've heard of that? Good, I'm not the only one here. Okay, good. I see masks kind of moving up and down here. All right, so the marketing strategy of this particular publisher was broad. So there is a series, a part of this series, a book for every stage of life, every age group. It seemed to be every hobby as well. So there's something for the new parents. There's something for the empty nester. There's hockey fan, chicken soup for the hockey fan. There was chicken soup for the avid fisherman, as well as teens, kids, and everything in between. This series of books typically highlighted some inspirational stories, some essays that encouraged the heart. I myself was once a recipient of this book. It was the graduate version, Chicken Soup for the Soul of the Graduate. Now, I imagine that this title was selected to compare inspirational reading to the soothing of the soul, much like a bowl of chicken soup. Today, we're launching this conversation about what it is to prioritize soul care in a contaminated culture. And so each and every one of us have something in common today. We have all been contaminated. The world in which we live encourages us to forget, to ignore, and we often undervalue the most precious thing, our soul. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be learning together how to care for our souls by learning what is good, what is just, what is mercy, and what is humility. You see, God's word is much greater, so much more powerful than a bowl of chicken soup. God's word contains the power to transform the innermost parts of who we are. 
So we've all been walking through this era called COVID. We talk about it, seems like way too much, but we're all here and we can identify that COVID has given us some opportunities. Through this period, I heard it once compared to a reset button. And I haven't been able to let go of that visual because it was clear to me, it was clear to me that though COVID was frustrating, is frustrating, it was difficult, it caused us to really take a look at who we are. It caused us to ask a lot of questions, to reflect. And so today, I'm going to invite you to ask some questions of yourselves. And there may be a point where I'm, you're just going to have to hang in with me because I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Because I want us to think about who God made us to be. One of the questions that I've asked myself is, what is good what does God value most? What does he really want from me? And how can I be diligent to sustain my own soul? So our soul is the most critical part of who we are. It's actually the only part of us that lasts. It's the way we're wired. The core of who God made us to be. Our soul equals our mind, our will, and our emotions. So it's known as the deepest part of us. And it is attached seamlessly to our physical body. I recently was fascinated by a story that I heard. I follow this Bible teacher. Her name is Christy McClellan. And, and she shares such insightful things. And so I wanted to share with you a story that I recently heard. It was about a student that asked a rabbi about a word. And so it was a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is simlev. And simlev breaks down to mean set upon and lev means heart. A student asked the rabbi, so why are we to set God's word on our hearts? In Psalms, it says for us to hide God's word in our hearts. And the rabbi replied, the human heart tends to be hard. And we set God's word upon our hearts. So when our hearts get broken, the words, they seep right in. How powerful is that? So I want to just ask God today that as we read his words, that, that they would seep into the most wounded places of our souls. So join me as we pray. God, your word is power. And so as we have this conversation about what soul care is, we're asking that every word we read of yours today, every word would seep into the deepest parts of who you made us to be, that it would hit every broken piece. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, I want to just give you a little heads up because I am a fan of a heads up. I'm going to ask you to do some things that are a little bit different. And so you may be a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to hang in there and just trust me because we are all in here together. We are family. 
And I'm just going to ask you to do one thing with me right now is I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. Yes. We're going to read the verse Micah 6, 8 together. So we'll start with the address or the, the reference, and we'll just read it together out loud. Micah 6, 8. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You may be seated. So Micah, the prophet, is, an, is the author of the book entitled Micah. It's found in the Old Testament, which is that first part of scripture, that first part of the Bible. And so I just want to give you a little bit of the backstory of where God's people are at this point in Micah. God's people were held in captivity by a country, the country of Assyria. The king of Judah at the time, his name was Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was a good king. And he worked his best to bring revival to Judah amidst facing a consistent and relentless enemy, the country of Assyria. Hezekiah's efforts brought only the beginnings of what he had hoped to see. He hoped for revival. He hoped that hearts would change. And yet, what he saw was that God's people, the change was only the tip of the iceberg. It was only the surface parts of who they were that were changing. And so God continued to use Isaiah and Micah and Hezekiah to protect Judah from judgment. And you see, Micah, he realized that some of these sins that the people were struggling with, that were holding them back, were very transparent. And other sins were hidden. They were hidden behind religion. Everything followed the rules of Jewish law and tradition, and it looked good, but just on the outside. Micah knew that the hearts of the people, they were actually tired. They were weak, and they had disconnected from the heart of God. He saw past their loyalty to the rules and the traditions that they knew, and he saw to the core of who they are and who they were made to be, their hearts and their soul. So today, soul care is more than chicken soup. I'm going to let you um, choose your own illustration, but I'm going to ask you to think about soul care as collectively all of us pushing this reset button to our personal relationship and personal connection with God. So the first question is, what is good? Have you ever noticed how frequently we use the word good? As parents, we want our kids to eat good food. We want them to have good manners. We want them to use good language. We want them to get good grades and get into good universities. We want all that is good for our kids because we want what's best for them. 
In the Flores house, we have a six-year-old monitor of good. He should have a badge because he often will ask the question, is that a good word? Is that a good food to eat? He keeps us on his toes and he's willing to point out what he knows is good. So no matter our phase in life, we all want to enjoy the good life. I don't know about you, but I want to drink good coffee. I want to fill up with good foods. I want to have good friends. I think we all envision and hope that we will have good jobs, that we'll have good salaries, that we'll have good family. And we want to take good vacations, especially now since we haven't traveled in so long. We want to take good vacations and we want to buy the good toys. Many of us, we fill our lives with good deeds, thinking that that's what's good. But all of us, we want and we desire what is good. And we live in a culture overwhelmed by negativity. Greed versus generosity, struggle for power versus humility, comparison versus satisfaction, pain versus joy. There isn't a day that goes by where we don't bump in to human brokenness. It's easy to look past what God identifies as the most valuable and ultimate good because we've focused our attention on getting to the good life. So in Micah 6, 8, Micah does something, something brilliant. He takes our care for those in need and he links it to our, to our personal connection with God. Oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? God is fully aware that as humans, we aren't going to, to follow the instructions of this verse seamlessly. And it's also really important for us to identify that these requirements are not a requirement for salvation because our God is gracious. Our God gives salvation as a gift through the grace through Jesus. If you're here today or you're tuning in online and you haven't made that choice to make Jesus your own, to make a personal relationship with him, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to make today your day where Jesus becomes yours. If you have questions or you want someone to pray with you, I want to encourage you to stay behind service or if you're online, message us or through the week, let us know that you've chosen to follow Jesus and we would love to walk alongside of you as you explore your relationship with Jesus. Micah is describing in this verse who God created us to be how he wants us to show that we belong to him, that we're his. He says to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Also in the Old Testament, Proverbs 4.23, it tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We're not to take our heart for granted. 
but we're to guard it. It's not referring to the physical organ that pumps the blood through our bodies, but it's referring to the center of our being. God is clearly telling us that it's our job. It's, it's a responsibility to protect, to guard, to maintain, and to nourish our heart. A guarded and healthy soul is essential to living well in the stress of life. I'm pretty sure that each and every one of us could name something in life right now that gives us stress. We could name something that we find frustrating or something that gives us pain. A nourished soul provides perspective when we hurt and when we bump into other people that are hurting. Guarding our hearts begins with embracing what is good and filling our souls to the brim. To love and live like Jesus means that we have to be diligent in filling our souls because you can't give what you don't have. There's this fundamental truth that we need to be reminded of today, and that is that God is good. God is the definition of good. God created good. Nahum, it's the book right after Micah. In chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him. And at the very beginning in Genesis, the account, the event of creation we see that God created man and woman in his image. Each and every one of us bear the image of a good God. In chapter 1, verses 27 to 31, you can see the order of God's creation. And then at the last verse, it says in 31, that God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and the morning came and it marked the sixth day. So we are created by God for good. When sin entered into Eden, it changed our connection to God, but not our purpose. God is so good. His love for us is genuine. It's genuous, generous, and it's kind. He made a way for us to restore that broken connection way back in the Garden of Eden. He made the way through Jesus. In Micah 6, 7, we're going to jump up just one verse. You can see God's people. It seems to me they're having a brainstorm. They're brainstorming how can they, how can they make up for their sin? What did God want from them? It says, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And this is Micah's response in verse 8, our verse today. O oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
the sacrifice that God is asking of us is clear. And it's found in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken spirit, spirit or a repentant heart, O oh God. So a broken spirit comes when the strength of our desire to be cleansed from our sin. And so sin is any number of things. And sin for each of us looks a little different, but it is sin. So it could be habits or attitudes, prejudices, bias, wrong patterns of thinking. So a broken spirit comes when a strength and a desire to be cleansed from our sin overwhelms us, causing our soul to ache. Have you ever had a soul ache? <laughs> causing our soul to ache for the peace of God at our very core. So we identify here that surrender is good. All through God's word, it shows us who he is and what is good and what he wants from us. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates, contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is, this is the part right here. Make room for us in your hearts. For we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. And we've exploited no one. Taking an inventory of our soul, it's not easy. But it is so good. So here's a couple more questions I have. These are questions that I've asked myself and, and I'm excited to share with you today because I'm on this, this journey. I'm on this journey of what it is to replenish my soul. And so as I've taken time to ask these questions, I found them to reveal so much about who God really made me to be. And so I don't come to you today as an expert. I come to you as a fellow person on the journey asking you to consider some questions for your soul. And so here's this question. What is it that needs to be removed from your soul? What do you need to remove to make more room for Jesus? Is it bitterness? Is it pride? Do you play that comparison game that trips you up every time? Do you need to be more generous? Do you struggle with greed? What about deception or denial? Have the enemy's lies traveled so deep into the core of who God made you to be that you're struggling to connect to God? So what are you filling yourself with? What gets your attention? Is there anything that you're using as a distraction to avoid having this conversation with yourself? So, doing an inventory of our soul is not easy, 
but it is so good. And there is hope because Jesus gives us everything that we need to ask these questions and to find the answers and to move forward to the good life. We were created to be in God's presence. It's once, it's once we're in God's presence that we can truly know his heart. When we choose Jesus to be our own, God becomes our father. We're invited into this new type of relationship, this closeness with him. And so this means that any question we have, regardless of what it is, how tough it might be, we don't have to be scared to ask it. And we can never stump him. His love is generous and his love is kind. His grace gives us, every time, his grace gives us what we don't actually deserve. So time with God is good. John 4.10 says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Would your time spent in prayer, the conversations that you have with God, would they change if you knew deep within who you are that before you even spoke a word, you could know that you're already loved? There's nothing you could do to earn that love. So the, com the conversation, the communication lines are open. If you went to God knowing that you're loved before you spoke a word, would you go to him more freely? So if we look at prayer as a gift, something that we get to do, not a duty, not a requirement, it's not something that we, we participate in so that our life works. It's something that we get to do. It's the gift of speaking to the almighty God, the creator, the living God of the universe. So over this journey I mentioned to you about um, my personal journey of nourishing my soul, I've started doing something that if any of you know me, you're gonna see when I share, you, share with you how difficult it is for me. <laughs> I've started this, adding this discipline of silence. And so silence seems simple. But for me, it was a struggle during my prayer time to quiet my mind, to close my mouth, and to just sit in the presence of God. And so because I was struggling, I started setting a timer. And so just for two minutes, I have to tell you, two minutes felt like forever. And so each time I set the timer, it would be, it would be way more than two minutes because my mind was just inundated with every to-do list, with random distractions and thoughts in my mind. And so I'd pause the timer and I would write down what was on my mind and I would go back to the timer. So it actually probably did take about 10 minutes for me to, to have that first time of silence with God. But over time, the continuous process of just having silence before God, I wanted more. I just wanted to listen. 
I think that that is what silence and soul care is for, is so that we can clearly, without question, without confusion, hear the voice of God. As humans, we face, we face busy schedules. Our lives are full. We often juggle a lot. But to actually pursue what is good for us and to fill and feed our souls, we actually do the opposite of what's good for us. When we're trying to cut back on our schedules, when we're trying to, to make more time, to find more margin, as humans, most often, we cut out the things that nourish our soul most. We shorten our time with God. We, we move away from the time that we spend with God's people. So here's another one of my questions that I've wrestled with, and so I share it with you. What are you filling yourself with? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For your yoke is easy to bear, and the burden and the burden I give you is light. Here we see that rest is good. Here we see that Jesus gives us rest. He's the rest giver. Throughout scripture, again, we can trace the theme that rest is good, that rest nourishes our souls. The creator of all things. He rested on the seventh day. Jesus rested. Jesus had a full schedule, but he rested. He took time away from the crowds and he rested. What I've grown to learn is that we love and we lead out of our place of rest. That we are not that we lead out of our being and not out of our doing. God's people in the book of, of Micah, they exhausted themselves brainstorming what God wanted from them. But Micah says, our verse again, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? It's often that we're on empty. We've ignored the warning lights and we're on empty, we've crashed, and then we realize it's time to rest. So what if we scheduled rest? We unplugged, allowed ourselves to be present in the moment. This is not an easy ask for some of us, but Jesus says, come to me. We don't need to do it alone. We often set ourselves on on the setting of autopilot, our fast pace. It stands in the way of us recognizing our need for rest. 
We actually violate our connection with God, our soul's connection with God when we ignore our need to rest. And so sometimes it's the people closest to us that recognize our soul condition before we do. So I'm gonna share with you another little part of my quest for soul care. I was in a season of autopilot and, and I was tired, but I was determined that I was gonna push through. I could do it. I was struggling with anxious thoughts and I was up a lot in the night. But you know, I just thought I had it under control. I can do this. But here's what got my attention. I was sharing coffee with my husband, Ivan, one morning, and, and we were discussing, we often say like, we're gonna align our goals for the day. And we were, we were talking about our schedule. We are having a conversation and, and he kindly suggested to me, Desiree, I think you need to take some time alone. I think you need to do something fun. You need to be refreshed. Find something that gives you rest. And so I was a little surprised by this suggestion because I obviously I wasn't in tune what, what was happening in my own soul. And I knew he was serious, ladies, when he said, here, take my credit card and go do something fun. <laughs> I knew it was serious because I had missed something. And his generosity <laughs> was a gift to me, was a gift to take account of what's happening inside of me. I did think, how have I missed this? But as I took that time, I did realize I was not living, loving, or leading out of a place of rest. And I have to tell you, it was difficult to stand still. It was difficult for me to be alone. So I've come across this quote that I absolutely love, and I'm going to read it to you. It's by a German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's in the book Living Together. Whoever cannot be alone should be aware of community. Such people will only do harm to themselves and to the community. Alone you stood before God when God called you. Alone you obey God's voice. Alone you had to take up your cross. You had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give account to God. You cannot avoid yourself. For it's precisely for that God singled you out. But also the reverse is true. Whoever cannot stand being in community should beware of being alone. You're called into the community of faith. The call was not meant for you alone. You are not alone even when you die. If you neglect the community of, of other Christians, you reject the call of Jesus Christ. And thus your being alone can only be harmful for you. Loving and living like Jesus requires rest. When we don't take time alone to be in God's presence, we become a danger to ourselves and we, we run the risk of potentially harming others. We have these unrealistic expectations of what others are supposed to do for us. We expect that they will fill us. 
And that kind of filling can only come from God himself. This morning I was, I was doing my devotions and I came across this quote that just summed it up so beautifully. Sabbath teaches us grace because it connects us through the experience of the basic truth that we can't earn God's love. We need both stillness and community for a healthy soul. So as we wrap up, I have a few more questions. Are you prioritizing your rest? Are you loving and leading out of that place? So that when people encounter you, when they interact with you, they experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. So for nearly a decade, I have loved and I have been loved by this Sea Road community. Together, we have seen God move. We've experienced his great blessing. And God is still moving. And I believe he wants to do more with us. I believe he wants all of us to consider, to push towards resetting our souls. So I'm going to invite each of you today. Will you reset your soul with me? Imagine if this week we committed to embrace what is good, surrender, time with God, and rest. So I gave you the heads up. So now's the time. So nobody freak out. We're going to do something different. Okay? So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we are going to, we're going to together um, pray. And we're going to pray a little bit differently. We're going to pray some posture prayers. And so I'm going to show you these movements. We're not going to jump up and dance, but we could if we wanted, but we're not. But these, these, a posture prayer is something that engages every part of who we are, the inner being of who God made us to be. So it takes our physical body by making movement. It engages our mind and our soul, the deepest part of us. And so I'm going to lead you in this prayer and I'm going to ask you to, I will say it and then you repeat because I want you the opportunity to close your eyes so you can break down any barrier of what the other person next to you is doing, any discomfort you might feel. We're all going to do this together. And I also want you to close your eyes so that you can picture yourself standing before our almighty God, the lover of our soul. And so we're going to do a few movements. The first movement is fists. So everybody show me some fists. And we're going to go from fists to hands up. And then we're going to do a prayer that has clenched hands like this. And we're going to use clenched hands to open hands. And then we're going to move from folded arms to open arms. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And so I'm going to pray and you're going to repeat after me. So everybody, we're going to go from fists. Lord, I confess that I spend too much time defending, 
and fighting my position. My attitudes, my opinions, my behavior. I confess that I often fight against you. Your plans and your will. I confess that these hands do not reflect how I have experienced you. Instead, I choose to hold my hands up. I surrender all I have to you today. I choose surrender. From hands clenched. Oh, you don't have to repeat that part. I'm just giving you your movement. <laughs> so hands clenched. Lord, I confess. I spend too much time desperately trying to hold on to what I believe to be mine. I confess that I'm fooled into thinking I'm defined but what I have and what I do. I confess that these hands do not reflect how you lived and how I have experienced you. Instead, I choose to hold my hands open. I choose to receive from you and give to others today. I choose generosity. So we're gonna fold our arms. Lord, I confess that I spend too much time preoccupied with my own issues. I confess my cynicism, stubborn attitudes, and entitlement. I confess that these hands do not reflect how you lived or how I've experienced you. Instead, I choose openness your ways and your mission, I choose to embrace the adventure you call me into. I choose mission. Dear Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you that you give us everything we need to care for our souls. God, I pray that this week, even if you lead us to a place that we don't wanna go, God, would you give us the courage to walk alongside you? 
God, we love you. We wanna see you transform our lives and the lives of those in our community. But God, we cannot do it on our own. Help us lean into everything that you've given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.